Girlfriends, episode number 329, Multitasking is a Myth and How to Stop. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week we are taking on the topic of multitasking. We're going to talk about how it's a lie and how we can stop trying to do this thing. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriend. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to connect with you right here on the podcast each week. If you're a first-time listener, I want to give you a special welcome. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for checking us out. I hope you're going to want to become a longtime listener to the Girlfriends podcast and be a member of our growing community right here on Girlfriends. So this week, we are talking about the topic of multitasking and how this is a myth and how we can stop trying to do this impossible thing that sometimes our world, our culture, even our own families tell us we should be able to do. Okay, so let's talk about this idea. This came to mind because I um, recently, you know, this is a funny thing about the modern world is many of us don't keep journals anymore, but I found that email is kind of like a journal <laughs> because I will bump into old emails when I'm doing a search for something in my my inbox and I have a huge Gmail account like going back a very very long time. And sometimes when I'm doing a search for something in particular, I'll come upon this very old conversation I had with somebody. In this case it was a, a conversation I was having with one of my sisters in the summertime and we were talking about the different ways that we were, you know, kind of feeling distracted and at the time so telling you how long ago this was, my son is now 15. I was pregnant with him. And I was talking about being pregnant with him, about his older brother, who was a toddler at the time, who is now 17 years old. Um, Time goes by, people. Anyway, in this email, I was just, I, I was just enchanted by this conversation that I had completely forgotten never took place. But I was, you know, we were talking together about that challenge of being present in the moment. And I was reflecting on the fact that at that point where I had a little bit older kids and, you know, this was my eighth baby that I was pregnant with, that I was feeling like I was appreciating things about having a toddler, things about even being pregnant, even though it was summertime and it was hot and I was heavy, but that I was appreciating things about that. And that I felt life slowing me down a little bit that summer in a way that perhaps God was calling me to do previously, but I wasn't listening. And uh, I, th- I thought to myself when I read this email recently, I was like, gosh, how much more so now, right? How much I'm in a different stage of life now. And, and I, can, I can see the, the preciousness of the present moment so much more clearly and how fleeting all of these things are. I think I was only just beginning to appreciate that at that stage in my motherhood. But summer is a time when we can especially be present in the moment, I think. Not because as as wives, as mothers, as busy women, everything stops. I think sometimes that's sort of a myth, first of all, about the summertime that, oh, you have so much time in the summer. I've done this before where I'm like, oh, I'll get to that in the summer. We'll do that in the summer. Oh, there's going to be tons of time in the summer. And then all of a sudden you realize you've got summertime and you're going in a hundred different directions and you're feeling exhausted and depleted and just too busy in different ways, perhaps, than you are during the school year. But every bit as busy and just feeling distracted and depleted. So I thought, let's take up this topic, talking about 
single tasking. This is the dream. (laughs) This is the goal, right? To not be multitasking, to be single tasking. And what do I mean by that? Very simply, I mean, allowing ourselves to do just one thing at a time. Our world tells us you can have it all, you can do it all. But what we need to remember is even if that's true, we can't have it all and we can't do it all at the same time. And I think especially women, because we are gifted at doing many things, we're gifted at paying attention to a lot of details. This is part of God's plan for the gift we're meant to be to the world, to our families. We have that gift. But when we are trying to do too many things at the same time, or when we fall prey to the kind of notion that we can earn our worth, earn our status somehow, earn God's love in some way, justify our existence with the things we might accomplish, that's a very destructive way of approaching life. You're going to wind up feeling exhausted. We had that episode uh, just a few weeks ago about burnout. That's where you're going to find yourself, trying to live up to this lie this myth of multitasking. Because the truth is, we can only do one thing at a time. We can only pay attention to one thing at a time. You might think you're multitasking, but what you're doing is moving your attention quickly from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing. And doesn't that sound exhausting? And do you think you're going to do the thing or the next thing or the next thing or the other thing that you're transferring your attention from one to the other? Are you going to do any of those things well? No, you're not. Your work is going to suffer. Your relationships are going to suffer. But I think sometimes the key is that we need to give ourselves permission to do just one thing at a time and know that it's enough. We're not going to earn our status with God. We're not going to earn anybody's love. We're not going to earn the right to our existence with all the great things we're going to accomplish. Thanks be to God, women do so many wonderful things in our world, in our family, in our communities, in our church. Thanks be to God. But that's not where you're going to discern your self-worth through all your list of accomplishments. You know, if you've ever been a mother of a toddler, you know that sometimes just having your house in the same state sort of at the end of the day as you did at the beginning of the day, kind of maintaining status quo is a huge accomplishment because they're running around tearing everything apart every minute. And yet that's hard to see on the outside right? But those are some of the most important days of work that we ever put in is doing stuff like that. So let's recognize that saying yes to our vocation, whether you're a wife or a mom or you're a teacher or you're a doctor or you work at Walmart, saying yes to what God is calling us to really requires us to say yes to one thing at a time. What is the one thing that God is calling you to do right now? It might be something as dumb as scrubbing a sticky spot on your kitchen tiles. It might be running a load of laundry. It might be sending emails or making phone calls. It might be talking to your teenager. It might be driving carpool. All of these things that we do. How many times, though, are we doing one of these things and our mind is racing with all of the other things we need to be doing? Or how many times have you found yourself with a rare moment of quiet, of prayer, Maybe you got to adoration. Maybe you were able to go to mass by yourself. And then you find yourself in that moment where you really want to be praying with your mind just buzzing and racing and flitting from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. It's really frustrating. And so I want to encourage you to spend some time, especially in the summer, thinking about how you can possibly be more deliberate with regard to 
allowing yourself to do one thing at a time, giving yourself that permission. Father Benedict Grishel years ago said, do what you are doing. This was his big philosophy. And as simple as that sounds, it actually is a very challenging thing to do, to allow ourselves to just do what we are doing. And he used to say it in Latin, agi quote agis, do what you are doing. So what do we mean by that? Just doing one thing at a time and giving yourself permission to do it and focus on that one thing and not feel like you need to be thinking about all the other things you're not doing in that moment. Because what does that even accomplish? Right. If you're, you know, talking to your teenager, but at the same time running a grocery list in your head, how's that helping anybody? Right. Or if you're doing one thing, but thinking and feeling guilty about all the other things that you need to do or feeling stressed about all the other things you need to do, how's that helpful? Is that helping you or is that accomplishing those things at all? No. So let's be deliberate, especially in the summertime. Let's make this a summer of single tasking not multitasking. Resist the urge to believe the lie. We want to believe in multitasking because that sounds so efficient and great. And there are so many things we need to do. And so if I can multitask, I'll get them all done and I'm going to feel great by the end of it. But you're not. You're not going to feel great and you won't have accomplished all that you wanted to accomplish. And the things that you did accomplish won't be as accomplished as well as if you had done them just one thing at a time. And I I am as guilty of this as anybody else. So don't feel like I'm just preaching to you and I've got it all figured out. I don't, but I am going to share with you some ideas for if this is a struggle for you, if this is hard for you, I'm going to share with you some thoughts on how we can begin to address this problem of being frazzled, of feeling pulled in multiple directions, of always being tempted to multitask. How can we get better at single tasking? So one of the things I want to share with you is the idea of thinking about how you start your day. How do you start your day? Does the alarm ring on your phone and you pick up your phone and immediately start scrolling through checking texts and emails, voicemails, other messages? So many people start their day that way. And that is a terrible way to start your day. So bad. Don't do that. You know, if you have to get a good old fashioned alarm clock, they still sell these things and they're only like $4. You can get a good old fashioned alarm clock. Use that as your alarm in the morning if you need an alarm. And don't make it your phone so your phone's not right in your hand and you're checking messages right away. Or if you must use your phone, then you know turn off your alarm and put your phone aside at the start of your day. Spend a moment saying a morning offering, thinking about your plan for the day, giving thanks for something, asking for God's help with something that you need, praying for the people in your life. Spend a little time taking care of yourself. Physically, perhaps brushing your teeth, taking a shower, getting dressed, uh, or having breakfast. Just spend your time first thing in the morning on things that are more of a priority than all of those little emails and texts and whatever that you feel like you need to immediately respond to. So if you pick up your phone and you start looking at and responding to messages first thing every morning, that is setting a really bad theme for your day, which is putting out fires. And that's the worst kind of feeling, feeling distracted and depleted in that way, feeling pulled in multiple directions because that scattered list of a bunch of other people's demands on your time and attention, which let's face it, that's what email is for sure. That's a terrible theme to begin your day on. Start your theme of the day with connecting with God, offering your day to God, being rooted in prayer, even if it's just for a few minutes. 
So think about how you start your day and and make a change. Make at least one small change in the right direction here. Letting go of something that pulls you toward distraction and multitasking and embracing instead something that's going to nourish you, that's going to encourage you, that's going to connect you in important ways with the people in your life or with God or with yourself at the start of your day. So think about how you start your day. All right, the second thing I want to encourage you to do, if you are struggling with this idea of multitasking, you don't know how to get into a better habit of single tasking, is to write down your priorities. You can do this in a super organized way. Uh, A Mother's Rule of Life is a very popular book that's probably about, probably 15 years old now, I think. I don't know. It's by Holly Pierlow, and it's available through uh, Sophia Institute Press. And in it, she kind of walks you through this system of figuring out a rule of life for a mom. So the concept here is, you know, in in many religious orders, they have a rule, which is sort of how they decide how they're going to spend their days, right? So it's for a particular um, religious community, you know, like the Benedictines will have a rule of life and it has rules and restrictions and guidelines for how they set up each day, how they spend their time each day, time for work and time for prayer and time for all of their priorities. And what Holly Pierlow did in this book was she kind of walks a mom through by sharing her own experience as a very busy and frazzled and feeling exhausted and confused and scattered mom. Uh, She was a homeschooling mom of five, I believe, when she wrote the book. She kind of walks you through her process of creating a rule for herself based on what her priorities were. And, you know, this is a very helpful thing. You can get the book if you want. I ended up feeling like the book itself felt like a burden to me in some ways because it was very specific in what it was prescribing for people. And it that might not be a good fit for you. But I found it was really eye-opening and I do recommend it for this and maybe in all the details if the details apply to you, if, if that works for you. But I do recommend it because it helped me to take ownership of how I was spending my time each day. Rather than feeling like I'm a victim of my circumstances, I get up first thing in the morning, put out fires all day, and then I fall in bed exhausted at the end of each day. Rather than feeling like I'm a victim of my life, it gave me the opportunity to realize that I am in control of my life. I get to decide how I spend my time. So how do I want to spend my time? What are my priorities? And then Um, be deliberate about writing them out. And Holly has a kind of a helpful way of looking at it like you have a priority to yourself, to God, to your husband, to your kids, um, to your work if you work, Um, kind of breaking it down into categories like that. And that might be a helpful exercise for you to do. Write down what are your priorities, what things and basic categories like that are have a legitimate claim on your time and attention each day. And then What are the little tasks that you legitimately need to be doing each day and that you think are a priority and are important to you? And then see how those things line up with what you're actually doing each day. Because what I found was when I did this in a more deliberate way, actually writing things down, I realized that I was spending time on things that were not so important to me at the expense of things that were very important to me. There were ways that my priorities were not matching up with how I was actually living my life. And though I couldn't have put words to it. I didn't understand exactly where that stressed out feeling was coming from. That's what it was coming from. Always feeling like I wasn't quite caught up, always feeling like I was failing in some way, was coming from that concept of not feeling like I'm living my life in accordance with my priorities. And so 
being somewhat deliberate about this and writing it down is a very helpful way to do it. Also, you know, talk with your husband about it or talk with a spiritual director about it if you want to do that. It can be helpful to have other people's input on this. But writing it down is actually a very empowering thing to do because you can look and say, what are the things I legitimately can and should be doing each day? And what am I doing each day? And then see where the difference is. And and those could be areas that you're able to address. This constant running around feeling frazzled is not serving anybody. And in the end, you're going to wind up having to look up that podcast about burnout because that's going to be you. You're going to feel burned out. You're going to feel like you're failing all the time. You're going to feel exhausted and depleted all the time. And you're maybe not even going to be clear about why. So write down your priorities and then kind of examine your life in accordance with those and then make the changes you might need to make, crossing some things off that list. All right, the next thing I want to encourage you to do if you are trying to perfect the art of single tasking this summer is to manage your notifications. This is a tech thing, but we live in a tech world and we all have computers and iPads and televisions and phones, of course. And all of these things are constantly alerting us to the important things coming in, right? These notifications. And How often do you spend some time just managing those notifications? Are those notifications serving you? Are they distracting you? Are they making you feel stressed? Are they pulling you away from what's actually important? So one way to manage your notifications is to just manage the device in the first place. So if you put your phone in another room when you want to focus on something, whether it's reading a storybook to your toddler or having a conversation with your husband, then, you know, that's one way of accomplishing that. But also just... Uh, From a tech standpoint, do you ever manage your notifications on your phone? Like if your phone is dinging and there's some weird app that you used three years ago that's still like reminding you of things you do not care about, you can go in and you can change that. (laughs) You can make it stop doing that. And you may not think it's a big deal, like your phone dings or buzzes and you've got a notification on the screen and you don't care about it and you just delete it or whatever. That may not seem like a big deal, but times, you know, a thousand over the course of a year, that is a big deal. Why are you allowing these things, this this tool, which is meant to serve you in your life, your phone or your laptop or whatever, uh, why are you allowing it to not serve you? In fact, pull you away from what you want to be doing. So manage your notifications. This also applies to email. People get so stressed out about email, whether you're in the working world or not. Everybody has email and people just allow it to stress them out. But you're the boss of your email. I actually love email. It's a great tool for me. And I use it for organizing even my my daily tasks. I think I've shared this before on the podcast, but I'll share it again in case there are new listeners or you haven't listened in a while. Um, I use my inbox as a to-do list. I do this very frequently. So I will email myself just in the subject line stuff that I, I want to get done in the course of a day. So generally, I'll do this like either first thing in the morning or the night before, or if there's some ongoing task in my week, I'll just do it early in the week. And that's my to-do list. So I'll check my inbox and that's kind of keeping me on task. Of course, emails can serve this purpose too. If somebody has emailed me something, requesting something, and it's something I need to do, yep, that email is a reminder of the thing that I need to do. But you have to be somewhat organized about your inbox to do this, for this to be an efficient tool. And even if you don't want to use your inbox in this way, 
uh, make sure your email is serving you and that it's not depleting you and pulling you away from what really matters to you or making you feel so stressed you're not accomplishing the things you want to accomplish. And so if there are a thousand different emails that you are subscribed to that you don't care about that just pile up and clutter up your inbox, do you know you can unsubscribe? It's a great act of self-love to unsubscribe from emails you don't care about anymore or that you don't even remember signing up for in the first place or whatever. You bought that thing one time six years ago and that company is still emailing you three times a week. Like, how is that serving you? Just click through. And if you have a lot of these, it, it you're going to have to be deliberate about it and maybe just do two or three a day or something. But if you're deliberate about it, the end result is going to be a more cleaned up inbox and you're going to feel less stressed. You're going to be more single tasking when you are in your email, when you're doing that work in your email. So manage your notifications in that way and know that you're allowed to do that. <laughs> Sometimes we just need the no-brainer reminder of what we're allowed to do. You are allowed to do one thing at a time and you are allowed to control your devices and the demands that other people are making on you. And speaking of the demands that other people are making on you, the next thing I want to recommend that you do is learn to say no. This is a tough one for us women. We struggle with this. We have trouble saying no because we want to please everybody. We don't want to disappoint anybody. So then we end up pleasing everybody but ourselves and possibly our families, possibly our husbands. We do it at the expense of these people as well. So it's important to learn to say no. Once you've figured out your priorities, you're going to have to say no because you can't. No matter what the culture tells you, you cannot do all of the things all of the time, all at once. You can't. So you're going to have to learn to say no to some things. So once you know what your priorities are, and if somebody's asking you to do something that's in conflict with one of your priorities, or you just plain don't have the time for it, it's not a priority for you, you need to say no. And one very revolutionary thing that I learned years ago in a conversation with one of my sisters was she reminded me, no is a complete sentence. Now, this is maybe not earth shattering for you, but it was for me at the time that you don't actually owe anybody an explanation for why you're saying no to something they're asking you to do. And sometimes this is what I would get you know, stuck on. Like, well, I can't, I don't know how to explain to them how I'm, I'm not, I don't want to do the thing, right? You don't have to explain to them that you don't want to do the thing. You can just say no. If you want to add to that, you could say, that's not going to work for me right now. If you want to say, I don't have the time to do that, whatever, but you don't owe them an explanation. You can be very vague about it and that's it. It's none of their business. And, you know, often we, we get so caught up in this idea of wanting to please everybody all the time, but realize you're not actually serving that person if you say yes to something that you want to say no to. If you say yes to something that you don't actually have the time for, you might not do as good a job at it. You might wind up resenting the person or the project as a result of it. How is that helpful? That's not serving anybody. That's not actually a great thing for that person who's asking you to do something. So set that boundary. Learn to say no. Learn the fine art of saying no. Get comfortable in that space of saying, that's not going to work for me right now. I can't fit that in right now. I've got a lot of things going on and I'm not able to commit to that right now. That's it. You don't owe anybody 
any more than that. So learn the art of saying no. And if this is a challenging thing for you, you might spend a little time talking with your husband about it. Husbands are so great. Dan has helped me through this so many times. And I have learned to say when I find myself in that moment where I'm like tempted to say yes to something, but I know I shouldn't, I'll say, let me talk to my husband about it and get back to you. Great line. It is a great line because first of all, that person's going to respect, well, if they're a decent person, they're going to respect that you want to check with your husband before you commit to something. And then it gives you the opportunity to take a beat, pause, and figure out how you want to respond to that person. And yeah, make sure you do get back to the person. Um, and, you know, have the conversation with your husband. Say, you know what? And, and I've done this so many times and Dan is so good about kind of guiding me through these things. I'll, I'll go to him and I already know I should say no to this thing, but I'm not feeling confident in my reasons or I'm not feeling like I'm, I'm a nice person if I say no to this thing or whatever. So I will go to Dan feeling that way and just express to him, you know, I got asked to do this thing. Here are the reasons why I'm feeling like I, I shouldn't. What do you think? And, you know, 99 times out of 100, he says to me, you shouldn't do that. And so, you know, tell that person you're not able to do it. So helpful to me, just getting that clarity and kind of getting that kind of um, a little boost of confidence that I'm not actually being a crazy, selfish person. And if ever I am being a crazy, selfish person, Dan will tell me that's the one out of 100 times, you know, (laughs) where he might say to me, you know, that might actually be a good thing for you to do. And it might not take too much time. And I could support you in this way or whatever. So learn to say no. Use your husband for the beautiful gift that God intends him to be in your life. And, you know, get that outside perspective, but find a way to say no to things. All right. I also want to encourage you, if you are struggling with this concept of single tasking, if you find it hard, you find yourself multitasking, distracted all the time, is something that can really help is to declutter your living in your workspaces. So if you're like working at a desk, for example, that's just cluttered with a thousand things and sticky notes and books that you've half read and, you know, a half eaten sandwich or whatever you've got going on at your desk. Like how, how does that make you feel? First of all, when you're sitting there, uh, you feel distracted and messed up and like pulled in a bunch of directions. Right. And just realize that our living spaces have an impact on how we're feeling. So not everybody is the super neat and tidy type. And some of us, you know, are are comfortable working in less than perfect workspaces. So it doesn't have to be perfect. But take note of your surroundings and the ways in which they pull you away. And I will sometimes, if I'm going to work in the kitchen, for example, if there's a bunch of stuff on the counter, it's a lot less pleasant to work in a space like that. And if I'm going to be like, say I'm going to bake muffins. Uh, I will like clear off the kitchen counter from like, here I am, I'm recording this at my kitchen counter. And there's a stack of notebooks next to me. There's a bottle of ibuprofen. There's somebody's earbuds. There's um, a, a container of uh, cans of seltzer. Like there's a bunch of stuff on the countertops. So if I were going to be working in this space on like a baking project, for example, I would remove all of that stuff. And then you're more streamlined in what you're doing. In fact, I should have removed that stuff before I sat down to record this podcast so that I could single task and be focused just on this recording that I'm doing right now. So see, I'm a work in progress as well. But declutter your living spaces. And because if you're seeing all of these things, 
they're going to be pulling you in different directions and like maybe reminding you of other priorities and just distracting you from what it is that you're working on. And of course, you don't have to do this with perfection, but take note of the way that your living spaces and your workspaces make you feel and some of the ways that messes, clutter, just random items that are in your spaces might be distracting you from the task at hand. All right, the last tip that I want to share with you with regard to single tasking as opposed to multitasking is to prioritize people. So we're all doing these many important things and we're making dinner and we're folding laundry and we're making phone calls and we're sending the emails and we're driving to work and all of these things. But wherever God has placed you in your life at this moment, in the moments for the rest of today or tomorrow or next week, He's given you people in your life for you to love. That might be your husband. It might be your kids. It might be your roommate. It might be your coworkers. It might be the neighbor down the street. It might be random people at the grocery store. But prioritize people. Whatever else you've got going on, there's nothing more important than the people around you. God wants you to love them. He's put them in your life for you to love in whatever that looks like in your state in life. So prioritize people. And this is easier said than done because sometimes it's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to answer a really important text right now. And, you know, my kid's interrupting me or, you know, I, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. But remember the importance of relationships, you know, that in the gospel story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus reminds Martha of the importance of people over things, of worship over work. He's not saying that work isn't important. He's not saying don't ever do those things again, but he's saying that Mary has chosen the better part, her relationship with the Lord. So that's the most important thing. It's the better part. It's what we're made for. And we won't be denied it if we will only choose it. So recognize that and prioritize the people that God has placed in your in your life for you to love. And sometimes loving your people means doing things. I totally get that. I'm not telling you don't do things. I'm not telling you things are never important. But make the people that God has placed in your life, whatever that looks like for you right now, make them your first priority. All right. Those are my thoughts about single tasking versus multitasking. Just to review here, first, think about how you start your day and don't hop on your phone and start answering emails first thing. Number two, write down what your priorities are. Three, manage your notifications on all of your devices and tools and things that are supposed to be serving you. Make sure they are serving you. Remember the importance of saying no, declutter your spaces, and then finally, prioritize people. If you have some thoughts to share about single tasking versus multitasking and what that looks like for you or what your particular challenges are, I would love to hear from you. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com or send me a voice memo at that same email address or connect with me on Voxer. The link to connect with me on Voxer is always in the show notes over at ascensionpress.com. We've got more of the show coming up, but first a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book 
is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome back. Now we're at the point in the show where I like to share some listener feedback or a listener question with you. And uh, this week I heard from Deidre, who sent me a note on Instagram. Deidre says, I am really struggling with comparing myself to others. I see all these moms on Instagram who seem to look so perfect all the time and they have clean houses and cute kids. I feel like I'm always just a mess and I can't keep up with my housework and the kids are always wearing dirty t-shirts. I wind up feeling very down on myself and wondering why God even made me a mother when I'm obviously not very good at it. I know this is not healthy thinking, but that is where I usually wind up feeling. What do you recommend to stop this vicious cycle? Okay, Deidre, I'm so sorry you're feeling that way. Uh, First of all, you're not alone in feeling that way. I think most of us at least have times where we are feeling that way or feeling like we're the only ones who struggle and everybody else has it all together. And these are just lies, of course, from the enemy. These are lies that are going to distract you from your unique calling as a mom, as your kid's mom. Like God made you your kid's mom because you're the perfect person to be their mother. Like they need you, uniquely, specifically you. So, but let's talk about this temptation toward comparison because it is such a common one. Comparison, competitiveness, jealousy, these are the things that seep into our female friendships and our relationships with other women. It is poisonous stuff. And it can really, you know, as you're experiencing, Deidre, really affect how you feel about your own vocation, about your own work, about your own motherhood, about your own marriage sometimes. And so let's start, first of all, by saying, you're saying you're running into these feelings on Instagram. Maybe you don't need to be on Instagram. Maybe it's not a good thing for you right now. And that's okay. I mean, and if it's too much of a temptation, maybe just you need to narrow down the people that you're following. If there are people that you're following that kind of bring these feelings out in you more so than others, you do not have to follow those people. If you're afraid you're going to hurt somebody's feeling, there is a mute feature on Instagram. You can just mute their content so you're not going to be seeing it. It's actually a very freeing thing. And, you know, if you think about this, like, you know, you pick up your phone and you look at Instagram and you see posts from, you know, X, Y, and Z that wind up making you feel like, oh my gosh, everybody else has this perfect life and I am a mess. I'm falling apart. Like, if you just take that out of the equation, you never picked up your phone and opened that app, you wouldn't be feeling that way. You would be fully engaged in whatever God is calling you to in your life right now. And maybe not feeling awesome at it all the time. But so why do we why do we allow this what's supposed to be something good in our lives? You know, most of us will join up Instagram thinking I'm going to connect with other people. I'm going to be inspired by what other people have going on. I'm going to get information. I'm going to form friendships. Like these are good motivations. But if it's actually not doing that in your life, if it's actually a net negative, get rid of it. You don't have to be on Instagram. I know people who are on no social media in my real life. And let me tell you, they are fantastic, beautiful, loving, happy, balanced people. Now, you don't have to not be on Instagram to be all of those things, but I think it's a big help. So Deidre, what you're sharing with me is a kind of a big red flag for, for me with regard to Instagram for you. 
I think maybe you need to take a big long break from it and see how you feel about your life after that. But, you know, I know these are temptations even in real life, right? With real friendships that we have with other women or acquaintances or groups we might be a part of. We just do this. We look around and we start comparing ourselves to other women, how they dress, what they look like, what their family's like, what they share about their marriage, what they do for work or don't do for work or what kind of car they drive or how they pray. You know, all of these things are temptations to be comparing ourselves and, you know, trying to find our status in the world with regard to how we measure up to other people. And that is a very bad distraction because we're not meant to be discerning our self-worth in these relationships with other people. We're meant to be discerning our self-worth in our relationship with God in that one relationship. And so these are all distracting temptations that pull us away from our vocation, our unique vocation, our unique calling. And yes, connecting with other women and learning how they live out their faith and family lives, how they live out their marriages can actually be a very encouraging and inspiring thing. But not if you're not in a place where you can hear it. And if you're in a place where you wind up feeling judged or you wind up feeling less than because of these comparisons you're making, even in your own mind, then you don't need those things in your life. You need to cut those things out. They're not good for you. And it might be that this is something you need to bring to confession and, you know, ask for some help there from the priest for sure. But also, you know, just ask for the grace that you need to overcome these temptations I really think that Satan targets women's relationships with one another because, specifically because he is terrified of the powerful force for the good that we can be when we have each other's backs, when we actually encourage and support one another, when we affirm one another, when we remove those things like jealousy and competition and comparison from our relationships with one another, when we really get together to affirm the good things that God calls us to, to affirm in one another our unique feminine gifts and the different ways that that plays out in our different lives to encourage and support each other in practical and spiritual ways. What a powerful force for the good we are. What a powerful force every one of those women becomes in her own home, in her own family, in her own workplace and in the church and in the world at large. So I don't know what other details you've got going on in your life right now, Deidre, but I am going to encourage you to Remove that app from your phone. See if you don't feel better all around every day. See if you're not a happier, more balanced, content mother because you're not on Instagram. Who needs it? Nobody. And this is the temptation with various forms of social media, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or you're on Twitter or you're on TikTok or whatever. It has These things are designed to be addictive, first of all. And so know that. Like if you're constantly picking up your phone and logging into a, a social media app, that is by design from the creators. Why would you allow yourself to be enslaved in that way? Why are they controlling your time and energy and attention? Take back charge of your life. They are designed to be addictive and you don't actually need them. And they don't actually matter a whole lot. They kind of have this way of taking on this larger than life feeling when you're participating in a, a community, so-called, like that. And it feels like, oh, Instagram is all there is. But no, it's not. <laughs> the real life is real life. Your real life, your real kids, your real husband, your real work, your real home, your real family. That's what wants your time and attention. That's what's real. And so what's going on on that screen, it doesn't matter at all. And you totally do not need to have it in your life. You could cut it out and be none the worse for it. In fact, probably a lot the better for it. So that's my 
encouragement for you, Deidre, to fully recognize that these these are temptations that are, are pulling you away from the joy that God wants you to have in your vocation as a mother. So look for ways to cut out some of those temptations and distractions. All right. If you have a question you want me to take up here on this segment of the podcast, I would love to hear from you. You can always email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. Send me a voice memo at that email address or connect with me on Voxer. The link to connect with me on Voxer is always in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. That's all the time we have for today, but I want to thank you for being here. If you enjoy the Girlfriends podcast, would you consider sharing it with somebody? Share it with a friend, send the link to a friend, share it on your social media, or one really helpful way that you can help us grow our community of listeners here is by giving it a rating and review over at iTunes or on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really an enormously helpful way of getting the word out. It takes just a few moments of your time, and I would be eternally grateful for that. Thank you so much for considering. And thank you especially for being here today. I love connecting with you on the podcast. I am so grateful for your presence here. It truly is a gift to me. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between daniellebean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 